0: Wow, have you been blessed so far? Amen. That was great hearing those testimonies. Just good, so good to see God at work in the hearts and minds of our people and uh, changing lives day by day. Let's pray together. Father, as we come together, we are, our hearts are overflowing with thanksgiving to you. Why, Lord? Because you bless us. Not so much because we deserve it, but Father, in spite of that. So, Father, we are recipients of your grace. We are recipients of your favor. And for this, we give you thanks. And now as we come before you to feed upon your word, we pray, Lord, that you will do the impossible. And that is, Father, that you will take your word and feed each and every one of us that what we need to hear, that which we need to know, that which we need to act upon. And we ask all this, In your son's precious name, amen. Well, today is my joy and privilege to uh, begin a new series of uh, messages. And it's on the one another passages. Now, if you've been reading your Bibles for any length of time, you know you've run across these various phrases. Love one another, help one another, admonish one another, so on and so forth. But how much real thought have you given to these? You see, when first encountered, it's easy to glance over them, thinking that they are straightforward and of little significance or consequence. Now you say, now wait a minute, it's the word of God and we should take all all of it very seriously. That's true. But because the way our mind works, it doesn't always draw the full impact of what God is saying to us. But may I help you see these in a slightly different way? I think when we study these, we will discover with the help of the Holy Spirit that these passages are saturated with meaning and implications, and implications. Uh, for example, the statements are important because when taken together, they paint a portrait of Christ. Have you ever thought of that? Wow. You know, when we love one another the way God wants us to love one another, that's showing us something about God, that's telling us something about Jesus Christ. These statements serve as a compass for the world to discover Christ. As much as we like to believe the world rejects Christ and doesn't want anything to do with Christ, there is still, still that small, still voice of God speaking to people. And people are just kind of wandering around, wondering what they should think about Christ. In what direction should they go? And the one another passages acts like a compass. It acts like a compass. And it helps to steer people toward Christ. These statements act as a magnet to attract the world to the, a Christ-centered community. And that's important too. Because sometimes we ask ourselves, what is it that attracts one person to one church or one fellowship or one care group or one group of people and not another? You see? And these statements help do that. They act like a magnet. Whether the world is ready to admit it or not, the world is starved for an authentic community where they can be accepted in and be a part of. I speak to so many people sometimes. What drew you to our church? What made us, uh, how is it that you're still here? How is it that you decided to make this your church? And they'll describe something to many of us would sound inconsequential. Well, you know, one day I walked out of here and somebody took me aside and welcomed me and said this and said that. And then the following week they did similarly. And I knew at that moment this was the right place for me to be because somebody took the time to care about me and to show interest in me. And so there's all these little things that happen that help us to attract the world and to bring them to Jesus Christ. By genuinely living and practicing these passages, God's people can unleash The reality of the gospel in high definition. I like that one. I thought that was pretty cool, you know, in high definition. Yeah, it's one thing to say that we're going to attract the world in black and white, okay? But that isn't the way the world works nowadays. They want high definition color. And so we have to up our game as God's people. And we do it through the one another passages, I hope with all my heart that you will make it a point of joining us in the coming weeks and let's discover together what the one another treasures. I call them treasures because once you have them they will become so precious to you and they'll become precious to somebody else who receives them from you. And so that's where we're headed and I hope that you will be part of this discovery process. Now To begin with, it's necessary to understand the nature of the one another passages. If we don't take the time to understand them, we might treat them as just another set of rules and regulations. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you are a little tired of rules and regulations? All right? I think all of us are. We're weary of them. And so this is what God does. He frees us, as it were. And he says, do this. Do this from your heart. Do this from your, from your very being, from your very soul. And let's see what happens. And that's exciting to know that. So let's get into this. And the first thing that I want to share with you is that they are spiritually based. They are spiritually based. And what I mean by that is they are rooted in who we are and who we will obey. Now, this is from God. This is not, you know, this is not from, uh, you know, the, the mind of Pastor Arnold. There's not much in there to begin with. So you don't want it from the mind of Pastor Arnold, all right? But it's from the Word of God. And so what happens is that if you were to take the time and study these uh, one another passages, it becomes very clear that they, are tra- they can be traced back to uh, living either according to the flesh or according to the spirit. Did you realize that? There are both positive and negative one another passages. Like there are one another passages that talk about devouring one another, destroying one another, lusting after one another. Those are not the ones we're going to talk about. <laughs> okay? But then there's the other ones that talk about encouraging one another. They talk about all of these kinds of things. And guess what? This group comes from walking in the spirit. This group comes from walking in the flesh. You see? And that's why I mean they are spiritually um, based. Okay? They follow after. Uh, and they are the results of how we live. Living according to our old self or new self, like it says in Scripture. Or living life on our, our, uh, living life on our terms or living it on God's terms. Those are the ways that are set before us. That's the two choices. There are two different. ways of living, and they are very distinct from each other. Living in the spirit and living in the flesh are very different. How different are they? Well, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, and starting with verse 16. And I want you to pay special attention when we come to verse 17, all right? But we'll start with verse 16. idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. Verse 21, envying drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, this is verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Do you see the point? There's a stark difference in contrast between the two. Living in the spirit, living in the flesh. They are as different as night and day, all right? And so we ought not to just dismiss that because it is based, these one another passages are based upon who we are and who we will obey. A second thought here is that each of us has to make a choice about which life we will live. Did you know that? Some of us, sometimes have given the excuse, well, God made me do it. Or God is sovereign, so that's the way it's going to be. And we seem to think that our choices in life are totally left to God with no room for us to have some choice in the matter. All right? Now, I'm not going to get into a big discussion today about the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. That's been diagnosed and been dissected and been discussed for as long as Christianity has been around. But I would say this, that God says both. He says he is sovereign and God says that we have a choice. And somehow it's all clear in his mind and it may be a little blurry in ours, but God doesn't answer to us. And so if that's the way he wants it, that's the way it's going to be. But you notice here that in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, each of us has a personal responsibility. We are to make a choice about which life we will live. Look at verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So when he says it in that way, he's saying to you, he is saying to me, make a choice. Make a choice. You just heard about the two different things lifestyles to pick from and he says make a choice walk in the spirit live by the spirit now that brings a point out a person would say very logically they would say well how do i walk by the spirit how do i get the spirit you know i'm i'm new at this i've never heard about this before i never knew that there were two choices i never knew that i was walking in the flesh but now you tell me there's a choice to walk in the spirit how do i get the spirit all right Well, in order to get the Spirit, uh, to to live by the Spirit, you have to possess the Spirit. And the way that you possess the Spirit, it comes when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. The wonderful testimonies that you heard, these were testaments of how people found God. How they found uh, Jesus Christ, how they found and made Him their personal Savior. When we say making Him your personal Savior, we mean believing by faith, That Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the grave for your sins. Okay? That's what we mean. Where is that found? If you look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. I've taken some of you here so often. You probably know it all by heart, but it's still the clearest. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. That was Romans chapter 5, verses 8 to 9. So, when we do this, when we make this personal commitment to Jesus Christ as our Savior, there are promises that come to us, such as found in Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, verse 43. There is the forgiveness of sins. We're sinners. We have sin, but there is forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. Verse 43. Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him, what? Receives forgiveness of sins. The other half is that because our sins are forgiven, we can have eternal life. And according to John chapter 17, that means that we may know Him, that we may have a personal relationship with God. We may have a personal relationship with Christ. If you look at John chapter 3, verse 16, John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have what? Eternal life. We'll have this relationship with God with Christ well if you want to say to yourself well that's nice I have God as a friend God is my co-pilot and all of this kind of talk it goes deeper than that because this relationship is not just a kind of casual relationship it's a deep one how deep is it pastor well look at John, John chapter 1 verse 12 and he says this, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So for anyone who is, believes in their, mind, in their heart, all I have to do is say, yes, I believe there's a God. Yes, I believe there's, you know, in Jesus Christ as my Savior. That full stop, that's it. Uh-uh, it doesn't. You become actually a part of the family of God. You are a full-fledged member of that family. All right? So you follow the line of thought here that's going on? And so then the last thing is, where does the Holy Spirit come in? Well, Jesus himself gave this prayer and he gave this promise. If you look at John chapter 14, he was getting ready to leave his disciples and he left them with this. In chapter 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper. Alright? He's referring to the Holy Spirit. That He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see Him or know Him. But you know Him, because He abides in you. He, is, he, he, he dwells in you, and He will be in you, So a person sits out there and he says, okay, pastor, you start off by saying there's two ways of living. Either I'm going to live according to the Spirit or I'm going to live according to the flesh. I'm interested in this living by the Spirit. How do I get the Spirit? You do it by accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, becoming part of the family of God. And then the Spirit of God comes in and He takes up permanent residence in your Uh, life okay that's when it happens and so when we think about this please understand that the one another passages are spiritually based they are rooted in who we are and who we will obey you're either going to do it to the old self or you're going to do it to the new self you're either going to do it to the flesh or you're going to do it to the spirit your choice You make the call, all right? Now, that's the first thing we have to understand. Now, the second thing that's good to understand is found uh, in other parts of Scripture, and that is that the one another passages are spiritually empowered, spiritually empowered. What God wants us to do, He empowers us to do. You got that? What God wants us to do, He empowers us to do. Sometimes we sit there and we say, oh my, God wants me to do what? I can't do that. I'll try and try and try, but I'm going to fail every time. We say to ourselves, but we forget, we forget that God gives us the power that we need to do these things. He does it through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3. If you look at Ephesians chapter 3, we read these very, very important words. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. It says, this is Paul praying now. And Paul says, he is on his knees. He is praying that he, that he meaning God, would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Okay? Through the inner man. And he's talking again about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, of course. If you flip over to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, he gives us a hint as to how this is going to work. How is it the Holy Spirit can accomplish so much in our life? Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse eighteen, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And the whole context of this passage has to do with control. Just like a drunk person is controlled by the wine or the, the alcoholic beverage or something like that. It says, be controlled instead by the Holy Spirit. I love this particular verse because it just precedes the part about marriage. <laughs> and I like to point out to couples, I says, wow, wow. God has a lot for you to do as a husband, and God has a lot for you to do as a wife. You're probably wondering how this is going to happen. Well, look at verse 18, and then I point out, let the, let the Holy Spirit control you, and that's how it's going to happen. Living the one another passes is not just a matter of willpower, but rather spirit power. When we let the Holy Spirit take control of our lives, we will have the power to live them out in our daily lives. Now, at this point, usually, there's somebody in the audience who wants to raise their hand. There's somebody in the audience who wants to stand up and just scream and say, I pray that way for the Holy Spirit. I tried to do this. I tried to do that. And I failed miserably. So, does that mean the Holy Spirit is... Not empowered, not enabling? Does it mean the Holy Spirit is, is inept, he's impotent? What is he? Okay? No. Just like it says that the two, the flesh and the flesh and the spirit are at war with one another. The flesh is not a pushover. It is not going to give up easily. It's gonna fight you tooth and nail. And what you have to understand is that it's going to take time for the Holy Spirit to get in there and really root out these things. We're really an impatient people, aren't we? We are people of the microwave oven generation, right? We're the people of the McDonald's generation. What does that mean? We want it now, we want it fast, we want it cheap. (laughs) Okay, that's the way we are. And somehow, when it comes to spiritual living, when it doesn't happen immediately as we think it should, we give up. We go try to find something else. We go find something else that works, something else that will satisfy our craving for speed. All right? We have this need for speed, so to speak, but when we come to the spiritual life, it's going to... Take time. It's going to take time for the Spirit to grow in us. Then the one another passages are lived out by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the third thing is very important. And that is they are spiritually interconnected. They are spiritually interconnected. All these one another passages, love one another, help one another, admonish one another, all of these, they're all at work at the same time. But where are they at work? They're at work in the body of Christ. Did you ever think about this? The Apostle Paul, you know, he, he, he's if you read certain passages, the Apostle Paul was an athlete. He loved to use athletic uh, metaphors, right? He says like running the race, that kind of thing, striving to win, and all of those kinds of things. So we know that he, he has an interest in sports, all right? But he has a lot of different interests. And he uses those and he exposes those in his writings. For example, he is fond of describing God's people agriculturally. Agriculturally. He says they are God's field. He does this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, for example. He is fond of describing God's people architecturally. He said you are God's building. Okay. And he does this also in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He is fond also of describing God's people anatomically as the body of Christ. Okay? Now, I gave you a huge passage that you can go and read about that. But I just want to point out one particular verse in that passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse verse, uh, 27 verse 27. And if you look at that, he sort of summarizes everything he's trying to say about the body, right? Now, you are Christ's body and individually members of it. He's not talking about a physical body, he's talking about a spiritual body. He's talking about all the believers together. And he says, "Guess what? You're a member. You're a member. You're a member. You're a member." He's saying we are all members of the body of Christ. Now, what does that mean? Well, he expands on that a little further in Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, we don't have time to go through all of it, but we can point out a few things. He looked at verses 4 and 5. He says, for just as we have many members in one body, that's you, 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 and me, all in this body, and all the members do not have the same function. Okay, you're a member, you're a member, I'm a member, but guess what? We don't all have the same function. We don't do the same thing, all right? Then in verse 5, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, he says. We are connected, folks. You may be from Singapore. I'm from Oakland, California. All right? But we are members of one body. Okay? And the truth of the matter is God has set this thing up so that even though we don't all do the same thing, we do different things, but we function together. We are interconnected. We are related to each other. We are hooked up with each other. We are interdependent on one another. Now, the teaching of the body of Christ is not new to GBC. How do I know that? Because when I first came to GBC in 2009, 2010, you made me your camp speaker. (laughs) And what did we talk about? We talked about the unity of the body of Christ. Okay? So I know you've heard this before. But the point is... Has it changed you? Does it impact you? Does it make you depend on the person next to you? All that more. I was toying with this, but I think I'm going to do it anyway. I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to say to them, I'm depending on you. Turn to them. Okay? Now, isn't that scary? Oh, especially if it was a stranger. Isn't that really scary? I'm depending on you? <laughs> is that a question or is that a statement? <laughs> you see? But that's how God has arranged the body of Christ in such a way as we are de- interdependent on one another. We're interconnected, folks. It doesn't have anything to do with ethnicity or, or, or gender or any of that stuff. All he says is we are members of one body and we all need each other. Now that is sobering. That is sobering. For the whole body to work together properly, it's going to take what? How is it? How is God, in in his infinite wisdom, going to design this thing so it works? Well, let me stop off here and turn your attention to Romans chapter 12, verse verse 3. It's going to take a spirit of humility. For through the grace given to me, I say to every one among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. But to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Not to think more highly of yourself. And, I, and, and, and you know, constantly I have to remind myself of that in my own walk with people. Everybody is precious. Everybody is needful. Everybody is a value add for those who are business majors. All right? So let's get that straight in our heads. It takes a spirit of humility. It takes a spirit of unity. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, for example. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. It says this. It says, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, he says. And Paul said something similarly in Romans chapter 14, verse 19, when he said this, So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of what? One another. Now, this doesn't mean false flattery, okay? This is a genuine effort from the heart. It's from my heart to your heart. It's from your heart to this person's heart, and so on and so forth. That we have the spirit of humility and the spirit of unity. That's how God has designed the body and the community of Christ to be interconnected and interdependent, requiring us to work together with a spirit of humility and unity. That's how it works. That's how it works. Well, what good are the one another passages? Very quickly, two things. One, they are one of the most powerful tools we have for being a witness for Christ. Okay? They are some of the most, pop, of the most powerful tools that we can ever have. Sometimes we always think, Well, I can't be a witness for Christ because I don't know the 24 arguments for this, that, or the other. What if they ask me a question I don't know? This kind of stuff, okay? But how much does it take to demonstrate care for one another or to pray for one another? We put out the watchman. Why? Because this assumption that you're going to pray. You're not just going to read this thing and then hit delete. (laughs) but you're going to actually read the watchman and you're actually going to pray. You see? It's a powerful tool. When the world comes in and they see people genuinely demonstrating care for one another, they are impressed. They are impressed. Why? Because we're not in it for ourselves. We're in it for God. Number two, the one another passages are powerful tools that God has given us to grow ourselves and others around us to become more like Christ. I was speaking to somebody the other day, and we were talking about discipleship. And we were talking about how hard it is. And, in, and at that very moment, the Lord just kind of put a, a, a thought in my mind. And he said, tell this person that God never meant us To go on this journey of life alone. He never did. He never did. He gives himself 100% to us. He gives himself to us 100%. He provides for us. He comes alongside of us in our journey. Helping us, praying for us, encouraging and teaching us. But he also provides other people. And that's where you and you and you and me all come in together. When we see a brother or sister struggling, we we don't wait to be asked. We go up to them. How may I help? How may I help? That's the spirit in which the one another passages come into play. And so, the question is, how are we coming along and being more like Christ? How... Good, how are we doing in terms of living out the one another passages to one another? I'd like to leave you with this thought, and that is the true measure of the spiritual health of a church is not the size of its budget or buildings, nor is it the width and breadth of its programs and strategies. Rather, the true measure of the spiritual health of a church is the level of Christ-likeness its individual members have. And that is reflected in how they relate and treat one another. Okay? So, having said all this, what is the goal? The goal is to have a GBC where people are actively living and practicing the one another passages from the heart. Not from just the brain, but from the heart. It's part of who we are. It's part of our spiritual DNA, if you will. And when that happens... The world will take note. The world will sit up and say, What's going on at GBC? How is it that their people genuinely care, love, and help one another? Oh, I'm excited. I want to see that GBC. And we don't start that and have that kind of GBC only when. April 2017 rolls around and we move into our new building. (laughs) Nah, we start now so that we have a great run at it and we are prepared. We hit the ground running in 2017 by being the kind of church that God wants us to be. To being the kind of person that God wants us to be. The one another practices are rooted in who we are and obey. They are empowered by the Spirit of God, and they closely interconnect each member of the body of Christ together. They are truly a treasure that we should not only admire and enjoy from afar, but use them to bless those God gathers near to us. Are you up for that? Fair enough. You probably say, ah, let me try to understand some more about this one and other passages. Good. That's where I want you. Because in the next few weeks, that's what we'll do. Now, next week, Pastor Bobby will be coming and delivering the sermon. And this will um, more than likely be perhaps the last one that he will give as a pastor of GBC. Because God has put him from the frying pan into the fire. He is going to be the executive director of the Singapore Baptist Association. But I hope that you come next week. Be prepared to hear the word of God through his faithful servant. But in the meantime, start thinking about these one another passages. Start thinking about these one another passages. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for speaking to us. And Father... You have probably said many more things than could be said in this short period of time. But Lord, you have a wonderful way of singling out various thoughts and words and concepts that we need to know as we leave this place. Help us, Lord, to become who you want us to be and, Father, to obey whom you want us to obey. Father, help us to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. In Jesus' name, amen.